You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall. And the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week with your boy Blair. I'm happy to talk with you guys. God, the heat wave in LA has been absolute insanity. It has really tested my soul, my patience. My apartment was uninhabitable. The power grid in LA collapsed. I was out without power. I felt crazy. I had to cancel a second date. I told the man, I'm very sorry, but I do not feel I am in the state of mind to go on a second date because I cannot shower or get ready um, because my power was out that day. That sucked. I went and did shows anyways. I feel crazy. But then I did make it to the beach and I spent a lot of time in the ocean, which was cleansing. But this heat wave is really going on and on. It's been many days now, not letting up. Um, Well, I hope you guys are somewhere safe and sound and cool. I have such a great guest on today, Jason Concepcion, a dear friend, an internet celebrity, uh, known for his work at The Ringer, and now he's at Crooked Media doing the Take Line show. Um, he's just a star, great mind, wonderful person. Um, he also has a podcast, Binge Mode, with Mallory Rubin, and a weekly YouTube series called All Caps NBA, and just like a pop culture juggernaut as well um it was so exciting for me to have him on he's such a good person very kind happy about comedy having us meet and intersect um anyways he he, this is a really heartfelt episode and i really enjoyed every minute of our talk i could talk to jason forever reminder please email in your fan on the street segment of your celebrity encounter stories to dear owen wilson pod at gmail.com 
I want to start reading the best ones on the pod. That's fun. Let's let's interact. Let's make it a family. Um, enjoying your posts again. If you could find it in your heart to support the show and write a review, subscribe, you know, rate, tell a friend. I think we're at 70 reviews. I really want to get those reviews up. Well, some of, why do some of my friends' podcasts have like 4,000 reviews? I need some reviews. Will you give me a review? It's free. Please? Okay. I love you. I hope you have a great week. Stay cool. You can find me on the internet at Blair Saki, B-L-A-I-R-S-O-C-C-I, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Okay, love you. Enjoy this episode. Thank you, guys. God bless. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dear Owen Wilson Podcast. It's your boy Blair back for another astonishing week of this show. I can't wait. It's just, it's so great to be here again in this moment, sharing this with my family my Blair Bears all around the globe, internationally, globally, intergalactically. And you would not even believe, you wouldn't even believe the guests that I have for you today, guys. You know, Daddy likes to take care. Daddy likes to take care of her listeners. And boy, did she deliver today. The host of Crooked Media's weekly podcast, Take Line, and the YouTube series, All Caps NBA, noted star media personality, sports and pop culture aficionado, my friend, Jason Concepcion, everybody. Woo! Wow, what a rousing, what a rousing intro. Uh, this off of the last ten or fifteen minutes of the group <laughs> chat we're in this morning has really been the the exact thing I needed to start a Friday at the end of the week. I needed this, Blair. You know what? I needed I, it. I actually agree deeply. Like I also needed this, and I have to say, I did plan on bringing it up, but. You took a big risk inviting me into a group chat of very notable, cool people that I was so honored to have been invited because it is a huge risk to bring someone in. Well, are you not a notable, cool person yourself also? You know, <laughs> I'm a fan. I've seen you. I've seen your stand up so many times. I've seen your show many times. Uh, I, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends. Yeah. It, um, it didn't seem like any kind of risk at all to me, Blair. Oh, wow. That's so kind. That's so kind of you. Yeah. I was wondering, I was like, I guess, how did we become to know each other? I guess it was through Faded. Faded yeah, is I a comedy show listeners on Friday nights in LA on Melrose, if you're interested. Yes, I think it was, it was through that, through the, um, like the Ian Carmel, Mike Malloy verse, you know, oh, okay. I've, I, I moved to LA like five, maybe six years ago now, like this summer. Oh, really? And, um, you know, yeah. And I didn't know anybody. And so like, that was basically like how I built my friend group was through that show. 
And I think that's how, uh, that's definitely 100% where I first saw you perform stand-up. Oh, 100%. yeah. 100%. And, but, like, were you, how, did you know Ian already before, or how did that happen? Yeah, I knew Ian before, just from the internet and stuff. Oh, okay, the first okay, time, got it. The first time I had come out to L.A. just to, like, visit, I was working at this place called The Ringer at that time, and we were having, like, meetings and stuff, so I came out, and, you know, Ian was just, like, really cool enough to be like, hey, why don't you come down to the, uh, he's, uh, Ian is a writer on James Corden, head writer. Yeah, Ian uh, Carmel, everybody. Ian Carmel, everybody, the great Ian Carmel. And he's like, why don't you come down and, and, and hang out? Uh, and that was, like, a really nice, cool thing uh, to do to someone who he didn't really know, but that's how we met. Um, and that's basically, those are all my friends now. Here in cool. LA. And where did you move from? New York City. Oh, New York like, City. Same with me. Okay. Yeah, same same as you. We both made the big move. What was? How did you find the big move? But you're from here. I am, but yes, yes. I guess that makes sense. But Orange County is like a different galaxy than <laughs> L.A. Like, I'm just not an L. Like, I like L.A. My nervous system, as my listeners know, has adjusted. I'm sort of a sleepy bitch. I'm much yeah. more a California girl. Um, I only have so much energy to spend. But, <laughs> yeah, I need trees. Like, I need trees deeply. Mm-hmm. I need to be in nature. I need more, honestly, than L.A. even provides me. Yeah, I was the—I was—I thought I was the opposite. Like, growing up in New York, I'm born and raised. Oh, Queens, really? And then Long Island and then lived in Brooklyn for the last uh, bunch of years before I moved <gasps> out. Whoa. And I was like— New York's the best. It's the greatest city in the world. You can take the train everywhere and visit like every culture and nation on earth. Uh, and then I came out here and, and I was like, oh, wait, hold on a second. Like I can have for basically the same exorbitant amount of rent. Like I can also have a yard and I can have like hummingbirds like come to the yard. Yeah, <gasps> this is great. Oh. Oh, I love a hummingbird. I, I love, love a hummingbird. And that's one of my um, angel signs, like, where I have a few. I shouldn't share them all publicly, honestly. I need to keep some things for me. But of course. hummingbird is one of my things where I'm like, oh, God is giving me a little kiss hello. Yeah. I love them. I love to watch them. They're fascinating. And just the fact that, again, like, you can put up a little hummingbird feeder and watch them come to your, like, little shitty yard in Hollywood, where I first lived in when I moved here, <laughs> it was it was amazing. That was legitimately amazing. Yeah. Um, and where do you live now? What part? What area of the city? I'm on the I'm on the east side, Echo Echo Park. Oh, Not okay. technically the east side, I guess, is like L.A. geography heads will sure. say, but um, yeah, I, I live in Echo Park, which is okay, a, a wonderful it. neighborhood. Okay, so now I'm I'm caught up and. I will also tell the listeners that this illustrious group chat that we did mention is yeah. founded on the main theme. Its anchor is selling sunset. That's right. The, the Netflix hit real estate show. So there's a lot of updates in there. And as many of you longtime Blair Bears know <laughs> from my... Former and deeply long-held attraction to the Oppenheim brothers, which I only did recently grow out of maybe six, eight months ago. It just, I woke up one day and thankfully it was gone. 
what was what was what was it? What was the thing? What was the spice in the soup that made the Oppenheim twins so magnetic to you at that time? For me, I just love alpha men. Like, not <laughs> I, I look, Jason, I don't yeah. want this. I don't want I, this. Yeah, of course. But I, the truth is like, I am attracted to just very alpha men that feel like they take care of shit, that they will take care of me, that, you know, I can be some sort of soft, delicate flower with, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not even a looks person. Like, it's just like an ethos energy. And then they have it, you know? I agree. Although I would say that Jason has it a little bit more of the twins. But yes, they do. <laughs> they do definitely have it. Well, I would agree with you also because Jason's masculinity or whatever masculinity we're we're supposed to be using i guess not that's too binary of a turn right Um, i'll say like alpha his alpha caretakerness is more measured whereas we finally saw layers of brett revealed in this last season where he loses his shit he does lose his shit like the younger brother there's a toxicity to brett and a clear like an emptiness that aches to be filled that I don't know that Brett has fully acknowledged in his life yet. And I hope he finds that. Um, Me too. That courage for to him. acknowledge it. Um, <laughs> but Jason absolutely does not evince that sort of energy. Jason is standing firmly in the size eight and a half shoes of Jason <laughs> Oppenheim. And he knows who he is and he's there firmly rooted to that spot. Yes, because, you know, The non-toxic masculinity that I'm interested in is full of grace, which he has. He he shows grace in most situations where he's like, all his exes, he's like, I love and honor them. I love and honor them. I just, (laughs) I love and honor them. I just want, all I want, all I wish for is her pure and unadulterated happiness. Um, so our group chat today, no details, but, and this is going to make it sound mysterious and crazier than it It is mysterious and crazy. But it was just one of our, one of the people in there is a former PR professional and was just, we were just getting some great tea on early aughts, early to mid aughts celeb relationships. And it was great. Which we now, which we all now look back on as truly the most toxic. The (laughs) early aughts are the the undisputed most toxic time for like women and and Holly celebrity culture. Um, And this woman in our group chat gave some incredible stories that would blow your mind. And unfortunately, we cannot do on this podcast. But if but if you know. We Jason or I ever run into in like a bar or something and you say what was in that group chat, I think one of us could tell you one on one. I agree. That could that could happen. Okay, God, we could go we could do this whole podcast about this because there's so much to cover and discuss, especially if you are a selling sunset head. But um we do have to get into a very important letter by Jason and then obviously my ensuing shrewd interview. So with that being said, 
Jason, please do us the honor of reading your letter. Okay. Dear Trey Anastasio of the band Fish. <laughs> Woo! And I, I'm sorry, but I had to explain to the people just uh, the band because I'm not sure that, that your name has the kind of name recognition, but sorry. To back to the letter, Trey. I'm sure you get this a lot, man, but you you rock. Or at least you definitely did back when I was seeing you like 20 years ago. I have since been on your YouTube page. I've been uh, watching a couple of clips. I don't recognize any of the songs, but you you guys still sound great. See, what I was doing before I do what I do now, Trey, which is like kind of write and host podcasts, is I just really wanted to be a musician. Like from the time I was 10, I was a little boy. For the ensuing 10 or 12 years, all I wanted in my life was to be a great ripping guitar player. Like I wanted that to be my job. And there were a couple of problems, Trey. Um, So (laughs) this was the 90s. And being good at an instrument like wasn't cool anymore, you know? What was cool was like playing like you had just learned how to play or being in like a new metal rap band where you had nine strings on your guitar and you wore like a scary clown mask. And neither of those things I think were going to really apply to me. And uh, second, I realized somewhere in this journey of, of really wanting to be a guitar player really, really badly that I'd never seen another Asian musician ever, like a successful one. Uh, there, well, I take it back because there was uh, James Eha from the Smashing Pumpkins. And then there's this one guy in a jam band called the String Cheese Incident. And then later, years later, there'd be, as my mom uh, would always tell me, there's Apple the App from the Black Eyed Peas. But the, again, that was later. So I didn't have anything. I didn't have any kind of roadmap here. But then I started seeing your band, Trey. I started seeing Fish. And I was like, Wow. There is a space in this world to be super weird, to take 20 minute long like guitar solos that are really expressive and good and musically good and to write like really silly, you know, kind of bad lyrics. I'm not good at writing (laughs) lyrics. Like I can't write them either. And there's like an audience for this. And that audience is also like super, super high. They're really stoned. So they're very, very chilled out, which was important to me because I was anxious a lot at that time. Now, I'm not a musician anymore, Trey. Uh, I know, again, when I was trying to be a musician, I would just, I would have done anything to have made it. I'd said many times, like as I was laying to go to bed at night, listening to your music, that I'll get this good or I'll die trying. Now, later on, that became much less of a romantic thing. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't want to die. And in fact, like some health insurance would be really good. So I had to quit doing that. But I just want you to know that I never forgot that time in my life or your place in it. So thanks, man. I hope you're doing well. (gasps) Love, Jason. Oh, that was so sweet. God. Wow, that that was so sincere. My heart really opened. Thank you so much, Blair. You know, one of the things that I've learned from quitting being a musician after really, really wanting to do it for a lot of years, yeah, is that it's is that it's okay when you love something when it starts to go away. That's kind of part of it sometimes, and it and it hurts. 
and it's disappointing uh and it and it, it can definitely leave you feeling like oh my god like what what's next but it's also part of life and it's great that to just experience that also Wow, I feel like you were just talking to me about my most recent breakup. It felt great. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true, though. Uh, like, you sound zen as fuck. No, but the more that you can... I do agree completely. Like, the more that you can practice non-attachment... I guess yeah. non-attachment is too severe of a word. Just sort of letting things come in and letting things go when they go. It's like, I think the easier life is. Not I agree. Like you just just allowing yourself to experience grief so you can just let it pass you by. That's it. It's not it's not like being it's not like having attachments to things but then acting like you don't care about yes, them, which yeah, is like yeah. actually which is actually like a toxic trait. It's more like trying not to panic or let yourself become toxic when you feel that things are changing. Because that's just part of what happens sometimes. And to allow yourself to feel badly that things are changing. Like, yeah, I feel bad. Sometimes people feel bad. And that's what it is. Yeah, I think that's also the thing. Because, like, when I was younger, I remember, like, anytime I would feel really upset or hurt, there's something. It's sort of a probably a childlike quality where you don't understand that it's not a permanent feeling. And right. when you can understand that it's just... um not permanent, then you're not panicky about it. Yeah, I think that's really, I think it's important, but it's also like something that takes perspective. It's like we were <laughs> in our group chat this morning, uh, someone was relaying the advice um, of an LA parent that to their child, never to date an actor, uh, which I then said, that's like only. That's only a thing. That's only advice that you follow because you never got the opportunity to date an actor. But, yeah. but um, you know, sometimes you just have to experience things. And then when the experience ends, it sounds like trite to be like, yeah, but, you you know, at least you have the memory of that experience. But that is true. Like that helped uh, season you and make you the person that you are now. You have that life experience. Yeah, I believe you said uh, you got to touch the stove sometimes to learn. And I and I said and I which I almost was try, uh, going to reply, uh, "Oh, brother, I've touched the stove many times." <laughs> you got it, and I'm <laughs> still <laughs> learning. My problem <laughs> is I'm so like I don't understand how at this point of my life I'm like older. I've lived a lot. I've had a lot of experiences. I was the younger sister of older brothers. I'm yeah. still so frightening and it frightens my friends too gullible, but it's like, I, they all tell me I'm so gullible. And I think it's just that I am like a really literal, sincere person. So I mm -hmm. always take people at their word and I have, it's not like I like bad guys or something, but like, you right. know, if I really, I really feel strongly like I and I'm just like a sensitive open-hearted person and so I I always like well if someone's like telling me all this stuff I believe them it's like hard well I think that that's actually I, first of all the concern of your friends is beautiful that's really <laughs> isn't that I nice guess. isn't it nice that they're like supportive and like protective of you but also like that's a that 
that, you know, all the other stuff aside, it's like, isn't that a nice trait to be like, yeah, I'm like open to falling in love with the person. That's like actually great. Yeah, I'm not open to falling in love with a comedian. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) Comedians, girls, if you're listening, I want you to hear me really deeply. Comedians are for your 20s. And after that, (laughs) and after that, you must, you must untie the rope from the boat. I, having a lot of friends that are comedians and luckily a lot, you know, all, most of them are in committed relationships. I can only agree with you in the sense (laughs) that like, you know, uh, uh, I guess not to make this like a mental health processing your trauma podcast, but I think like one of the most important things about trying to live a creative life is just trying to like take care of yourself when you experience disappointment. Because it's like, you know, so many of my friends there are hilarious, like the funniest, and maybe they're not the most well-known, but that's not like a reflection on how funny they are. Yeah, they're talent, yeah. And it can be like really, you know, it can be really crazy when you watch people like you're like, this person sucks. They don't deserve to succeed, but they are succeeding. <laughs> like what, how, how is this making me feel like inside? Like that can be like really tough to deal with. And, um, and you just have to protect yourself from that. And it is, and it's a roller coaster if you want to get involved with the person who has to also deal with that all the time. Oh my God. You said it, brother. Oh. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. 
The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. What I'm looking for is, like, I feel like thus far in my adult relationships, while at times I have also been the one in need of intense (laughs) healing, that I have always been, like, the rock and the grounded person within the relationship. And I would like to experience the other person being the rock or else us just Mm -hmm. being at an equal rocks for each other. Yeah, like a partnership at a certain point in your life, like the person who is like an equal stakeholder in whatever is happening is kind of like that's seem that can be appealing at a certain point. Like you have your shit together, just like I have my shit together and together we can have our shit together. Sounds pretty yeah. good. Yes, and also being driven by the same things. Like I just don't feel like and obviously I wasn't thinking this from this perspective at all because as you said I did not have that perspective (laughs) then but I don't feel like uh, many comedians just because of the nature of it and how hard it is to succeed and get stability and and then you know whether that's outward stability amongst inner stability with all the pressure and the wear and tear and all this stuff I don't think like most comedians are driven by being like a father and settling down and all this stuff, which is also what I want in this life. There's also a thing like if I would have been a successful, let's say I would have, let's say I didn't quit music and that I somehow had been successful in my late teens and 20s as a musician. I think it would have been without like good friends and like, I think it would have been a devastating scenario for my for my quality of life. And I I also think there's something to the fact that like performers crave attention and and it's a weird double-edged sword that sometimes the most devastating part of that is when you get it. Because uh, when you get it, it just is like a drug and it can really just warp you when you get it. You're seeking it, but then you get it. And it's kind of the worst. Do you find this at all as you progress? Like, I oddly become more introverted every day. And I already started out as introverted. Like, I'm outgoing when I'm, you know, in conversation with someone. But besides that, I'm like a hermit type of person. Oh, yeah, big time. I I have to force myself to, like, go and do things, like, over the... Uh, my partner's really good at that. It'd be like, you you always say that you need to go out there and go hang out with people and go see a show. And I'm like, you're right. I need, do need to do that. 
But like otherwise, that's a healthy partnership. I like that's that. a he- teamwork. That's a really healthy part. Yeah, but otherwise, like I could easily just like be in sweatpants and like not leave the house for days and days and days at a time, and I'd be very very comfortable doing that. <laughs> yes. How did you meet your partner? Uh, I was doing this like um, live magazine called Pop Up Magazine, which is like a multimedia live show in which journalists, storytellers, et cetera, do a, do a story. Uh, and my story was about how <laughs> for 10 years I let a friend of mine think I was a Yankee, a New York Yankees fan <laughs> because there was some kind of weird mis- miscommunication where he thought I was a Yankees <laughs> fan. I, I wasn't. And by the time I realized that this has happened, it was like too hard and too weird to be like actually i don't know how this started but i'm not and i just <laughs> let it go on for 10 years and so i was uh i was doing that uh and that's how we met we met after that show wow and how long ago was that this is three or three years now three and a half years okay i love asking people that because like i it makes me it's so affirming I even asked my accountant that I just met and then he <laughs> he took, he brought up his wife and like he sounded like I it was striking to me in the way that in just like one sentence the way he spoke about his wife that I could feel he had so much love for her that mm-hmm. I wanted to know like how they met and then he told me for like 25 minutes and I was literally enraptured like with the whole story and then I was like Sorry if that was a personal question, but I find these things to be affirming. And he's like, no, that's okay. This is a very personal relationship. And I was like, this is the accountant for me. Absolutely. The accountant is a super, I mean, super intimate relationship. They know like what they know, all the weird shit that you're spending money on. <laughs> that's true. That's all the true. crazy shit you're spending money on. Um, yeah. First of all, congratulations on having an accountant. That's good. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know I need them. I I don't want to be accidentally arrested. Um, you know? Yeah, it's there's like I don't know how to do the money thing, so I'm glad that I have someone whose job it is to just like do that stuff. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, the money thing. The money things. So, to bring it back to 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 the Jason Oppenheim question. Yeah. Jason Oppenheim, we were we were remarking in the group chat about Jason Oppenheim's uh, latest partner, uh, who's a young woman whose who's name I'm not sure of, but who is a good... Marie. Marie. Marie Lou. Marie Lou, and she appears to be a good... Like, Jason Oppenheim, I put him at... A, good, a fun game I play with my partner is, am I taller than the Oppenheim twins? I think no. But, so I put him about... Five four ish, and I'd put her at about five seven eight. And in the picture that we saw of them, she's she's wearing the heels, and I opine that I don't think I don't think (laughs) there's a future for them because she's wearing the heels. Do you think that that that's really hard? Am I be? Do you think that that's right, or is it? Or is it? Am I looking at it the wrong way? And that Jason is so confident in his Jasonness. That he's like, yeah, tower over me. Like, I don't care. This is a social construct, you know. Um, and and with my with my short king crown, actually, we're the same height. 
<laughs> Am I looking okay. at this the wrong way? <laughs> no, but I did think that was funny because remember, I don't know if you remember in the chat, but like I went, I think it was a year ago, Nikki Glaser was hosting the unscripted MTV Music Awards and I went yep. and I saw both of them. I famously... Chriselle asked me for a tampon in the bathroom. I gave it to her, pretended as if I had no idea who she was, but gave her a very warm smile. And um, <laughs> this was right. I think this t the timing was right after, like a week after it had been announced that they were dating or something. Yeah. And I was like, and also Christine and her husband sat on the other side of the room and didn't speak with them at all. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that shit is real, I guess. But I would say 5-4 is probably correct. And all those girls, I think it might just be a Hollywood model thing. Like they're not seen without heels. Yeah. You know? That's true. But I That's did true. think that was a hilarious observation because uh, my most long-term boyfriend was my height. And I didn't wear heels around him. Out of res out of respect for his for his like masculinity or just like, because... I guess naturally I didn't want to seem like a giant next to him. I'm not like some. <laughs> I guess I, I'm not like some slight breakable woman. You know. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like the other thing about Jason, I I'm realizing now through this that I've like modeled a lot of my like. <laughs> Attempt at confidence uh, after Jason. Jason is like a ripped. The both the twins are pretty are pretty ripped. Like rich guy ripped. It's clear that they're taking some kind of like testosterone replacement something, and that they also spend like six figures on like some kind of health regimen. But the danger with Jason, and then this is a, an opinion I also put in the chat, is at that. It can throw your proportions off at that height because the danger <laughs> is you look like a mailbox, which I guess you could say Jason doesn't quite look like a mailbox. But I, it's always a concern for me that, you know, God, if if you go if you're not careful, you go to the gym, you get too ripped. You just look like like a you know, like a brick walking towards somebody. I'll tell you what, that's also my concern. That's why I'm not at the gym. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's my reason for not going to the gym. Okay, I don't want to get too ripped like Jason Oppenheim, my former love. Um, no, but I get what you're saying. They are in impeccable shape. They're like very well groomed. I have to say there's yeah. another element. There's another big element here. There mm -hmm. is something to me that is very alpha attractive about a... Intentional bald man. Like, yeah. they do have to have an element of handsomeness to pull off bald. But, like, a man who shaves off his whole hair, I'm like, yeah, that's confident as hell. Like, there's a, like, an attractive, there's a lot of attractive bald men like that are like that, that shave it all off, you know? I agree. Especially in, in today's day and age where it's like, you know, Jason Oppenheim absolutely has the resources to get the most top shelf hair replacement person. Which happens like, like all the time now, which is crazy. I was just at a comedy show last week where we were just having like open conversations or I was not part of them, but I was listening to like open conversations of just being like, yeah, man, I'm like the Propecia. So the Propecia is the goalie and the Minoxidil is the grow it back. And I'm on that stuff. And people just like are very open. Maybe it's like the LA-ness of it, but people are just like very open about like 
I'm staving off the baldness with with all that I have at my at my disposal. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Every guy I've dated in the last 10 years has been on Propecia. Like everyone talks openly <laughs> about it. I'm like, yeah, of course. Of course. That's like the male birth control. No, but of course, they would never have birth control for men. Um Oh my God, we could talk this forever. I guess we got to get back to our interview and Trey on Anastasio. Sure. Okay. Let's talk about him. So according to Lucian Wickles, of course, my private detective, are you aware of him? Yes. Oh, okay, good. Okay, good. Um, according to Lucian Wickles, the band Fish is spelled with P-H. Why That's is correct. that, Jason? It seems misleading, no? I, it is a slightly misleading, but again, it was kind of like the thing that appealed to me a little bit about them, which was just like a a, a kind of like childlike weirdness. Right. Um, it was just like silly for no reason. Um, right. And I, something about that was fun to me at the time. And it still is. And um, do you have siblings, Jason? I do. I have a brother. And older or younger? He's younger. He's a nurse. Okay. And so how did you get into music? Was that like, what made you get into music and what made you want to be a musician? Well, I was, I, the first, I was always like attracted to the shape of a guitar, just like the look of it. I remember one of my, like when I was in like fourth grade, maybe one of my friends got one of those, like, like a toy guitar that just like has the, the buttons like on the neck and no strings. And I was like, wow, that looks so freaking cool. cool. And then um, I don't – it just called to me for whatever reason, and then I got one. It took like three years of begging, but then I eventually got one. And I, and I remember um, the first time I ever played for people, like some of the kids in the neighborhood who played instruments were like jamming in the driveway of like this – what I thought was a cool kid. You know how like – I don't know if this happened in in Orange County, but at least like on Long Island – there were cool kids and later on in life you realize they weren't cool. They were like <laughs> c criminals. Like they were like, like actually criminals, like who should have been fucking locked up. This uh, is how I feel about every person I met at an open <laughs> mic from 2012 to 2017. So we, I played like, we were just like jamming like in the driveway of like this person who I thought was like a really, really cool guy who later I would learn was like a criminal. <laughs> And, and he was like, Hey man, you're good. Keep doing that. And it was like the most amazing jolt of, <gasps> and, sure. of like energy to like hear that I was good at something. Yeah. Uh, and I just was chasing that ever since after that, you know? Yeah. It felt well, like I a way, know. it felt like a way also, you know, like I grew up in a very, very, you know, Long Island was like super, it was just like different forms of white people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it felt like a, it really felt like a way, which I would never have said this at the time, but it felt like a way to like, kind of, I could express like feelings in a way that was cool to other people. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what art is like, um, getting those feelings out of yourself in like, yeah. um, I guess semi-public way or even if it's not public it's outside of yourself even if no yeah. one sees it um yeah. that's really cool okay and yeah i had like never listened to the band fish like all my life all i had ever heard is like some vague joke about it being like a never-ending song <laughs> that's basically true 
Um, but, uh, you know, there was there was something about going on the journey of that song. Now, I will say there's a there's also a joke about fish and and jam band music in general that it's like something like if you're not high, the music's not good. And I will say there's an element of truth to that. <laughs> Wow, like, you, Dear Owen Wilson exclusive. Dear Owen Wilson exclusive. There's an element, there's an element of truth to that. But there was also like, um, you know, that was like a point in my life when I was trying to, I was trying to um, get really good, you know, and what, why, like, why get good at this thing? And Something about those jams taught me like there's, oh, there's like an intentionality and a thoughtfulness and an actual like journey that you can take people on through expression if you uh, interact with like your art in that kind of sincere way. Now, again, I don't do music anymore, but I've taken that. I've like it's kind of a lesson that I've taken with me is like to try and just work really hard, no matter how silly the thing you're doing is, to try and give people an experience. Oh, I like that, Jason. And, you know, I because I had never heard, I popped on a few songs before this I'm podcast. Sorry. And um, I was, like, to piggyback off what you're saying, I said, there is something about this music where it's not in this... It's outside of our, like, uh, immediacy-obsessed, no-attention-span culture. Yeah. Where if you're going to listen to this if you're or a type of music and this band, Fish, you really have to lock in and be present and sign on to, like, get involved. It's not like, um, you can't really appreciate it, like... You know, just no. like you would pop music or something. Totally. I think, and that's, you know, I think that's part of the thing that I, I still find, like, really cool about it is, like, there's still space for that. Even though it's not particularly my brand of thing anymore, there's still, like, an audience for that of people who are like, you know, I've looked at everything that's out there and I want something really, really weird and different. And that's cool that 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 people can still find that and have that experience. That makes me happy. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Yeah, the level of engagement needed within yourself (laughs) to interact with this band fish, it's sort of like the music equivalent of reading a novel. It really is. And it also was, you know, a lot of it too was like a point in my life. Like you were, you're an actual like elite athlete. So, so. (laughs) I forgot. um, (laughs) So. You know, what I'm going to say is, like, maybe going to come off as semi-ridiculous. But when I was, like, going to their shows, I was, like, the Steph Curry of myself at that time. Like, I remember one of their shows, I waited, you know, it was, like, an outdoor summer show um, in upstate New York. And I waited. I got up before all of my friends. First of all, like, I traveled in this for these set of shows with a bunch of people I had never met before with, like, a pair like a pair one change of clothes like inside of a drum (laughs) inside of like a a a djembe drum and then i slept in the easiest um bag like this is the most convenient practical bag i could think of my drum yeah and then i slept like in a folding chair for this whole time like outside i didn't have a tent oh my god and then and then uh waited like three hours before the gates open for the gates to open then so I could get right in front of the stage and then it's like another four hours before the the band comes on and I don't remember like eating drinking going to the bathroom like I was like the Greek freak of like that was my physical peak uh and and part of what was fun about the band was just like being that young and having like no attachments to to anything and just getting to be like, yeah, this is I, I, I can I'm enjoying being this young right now. Yeah. Or yeah, just having I know those experiences are so important because unless you're some person who's like wildly adept at 
keeping them in your life as an adult, they are, they're fewer and far between as you get older. A hundred percent. Um, okay. And is this type of music solely for drug doers? I do feel like Nancy Reagan asking that, but like, Mm -hmm. what is the vibe? It's a drug music. Um, you know, it's part of the culture, but I think that at the center of it, it's, it really is about the music. The music is really like, it's, you have to have a certain level of like, skill to do what they do and the people that that follow that band or in that world like really really appreciate the music oftentimes you know like the the substance around it can be like or like the vehicle for them to like get deeper in it but it's but i think at the core of it it's really about the music now again people are high there that is the thing (laughs) That it really like marijuana is marijuana high or what we talking about, Jason? You know, like what we talking about here? I, you know, there's like shrooms involved. You know, again, I haven't been there in, in a number of years. Earth. Shrooms are of the earth. Uh, I would imagine that LSD is consumed there and a lot of weed in different forms, like in brownie form and edible form and smokeable form. form. Yeah, and um, and so you will find that there. And I will say, unfortunately, like. I think I knew I was done with it when there were certain friends that were like, oh, we just like to party. And then it's kind of like the party never really stops. And you're just like, "Okay, this is getting to a place where I don't want to be part of it anymore. And that was part of like why I pulled away from it. But um, essentially, it's about the music. You pulled away like 22, 23. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Yeah, I do remember those people because. Like, if you have any modicum of ambition, at some point you look around those people and you're like, they become a little bit sad to you. Whereas first you thought they were so exciting and cool. I remember that. And I always like think while, you know, I did have some tragedy strike, but at the same time when I was young, and impressionable i was always like thank god i had like something i really cared about to keep me at least a little bit within the lines you know sports because like i was i've always been like interested i'm like i like to experiment i like to like meet like artistic people you know when did you first not to flip the script but when did you first start being serious about comedy as like a thing It was like minute one, like I was obsessed and I'm also just like an intense person. So like when I like something, I will, you know, and I was like an athlete my whole life. And I had this idea of like, oh, if you want to be good at something, this is what it takes, you know? Yeah. Um, But I was in grad school and I had never been to a show in my life. And my boyfriend at the time took me to a show. I was 25. That was my first comedy show I'd ever been to. And I never followed comedy. I knew nothing about it. I wasn't like, didn't see it growing up or anything. And so when I first discovered it, I was like, oh my God, like, I can't even believe this world exists. I became obsessed. And like that first year after I learned, because I, since I was a writer at the time, I started and I was in grad school to become a novelist. And I started writing for Split Sider, interviewing these comedians and then I broke up with that boyfriend and then in the shower one day I had the thought like, oh, I should do comedy. And like literally I had never had that thought before. 
And I was really sad. And I was like, I won't feel pain if I'm bad. <laughs> and um, then, like, yeah. I just started two days later. Yeah. Wow, that's really amazing. I've, like, uh, I could never do it. There's no... You like, could totally would, do it. I would bomb once and I would be like, that's it. I'm walking into the jungle to go join, like, the 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 uncontacted native tribes in the Amazon. So I will never, ever have to reflect on this again. <laughs> yeah, I think there is this thing of, um, like, I used to balk at that thing where people would be like, oh, comedians are so fucked up. They have so much tragedy and trauma and all this stuff. Like, that used to annoy me because I would be like, no, everyone has that. They're just more honest about it and talking yeah. about it and opening themselves, which is true. But then also, now that I've been in it for a while, speaking to what you just said, I'm like, oh, there's in each comedian, the tolerance to experience pain is so much higher yeah. than the threshold. Like most people would be like, that's like dehumanizing. That's degrading. <laughs> like I don't want to experience that. It's just constant indignities. And and like comedians are so sick. They're like, oh no, I'll two people and oh, I have to pay you to perform and you hit me with a truck after. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> I can never do it, Blair. Wait, so when did you, why and when did you quit doing music? Like, was there a moment? Um, you start, uh, it wasn't a moment. It was like a series of moments over, over several years where, you know, I had made, like, dead serious, sincerely. I had made that. I had made that like dark promise a million times. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be like the greatest or I'm not going to live. Like I'm going to, and then, which is like a really romantic thing you do as a young person. And then like, after a while you're like, you know, I'm getting, my brother is sending me his like old asthma inhalers. Like, I'm seeing car commercials with people my age in them. I have like no money at all. Yeah. Um, oh, I like, know. I know this story. Uh, and like, maybe this isn't going to happen. And it took a long time to like get to that place, actually. And it was, um, and it was really it was, part of what made it hard was like all my friends. You know, that was like the identity that yeah, oh, I definitely. had for all my friends. So. I knew that no one would really understand it. And I also knew that because like this was something like I'd wanted so badly for my entire life that I just had to stop immediately. Like there was no like, oh, I'll just continue to like write songs like on the weekend. No, I had to like cut it off, like cauterize it. So I just, after like a bunch of years, just being like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Like I'm I'm a, more a waiter than like a musician, aren't, aren't I? And then eventually I just had to be like enough and I had sold all my instruments and I just like literally stopped thinking about it. I had to get rid of all the stuff that reminded me of it and I Whoa. just like cut it off. I just like, it was like an started immediate like hard left turn, start a new life. But wow. it was, it was not, it was hard. It was hard to get to the place where I was like, you know what? Uh, uh, Everybody who told me that I shouldn't do this was right. 
and I need to accept this and move on. And that's and it was hard to get to that place. Yeah, but you also listen to yourself in that you needed more. Like you needed like yeah. some people never quit because they and like the non like the people who don't make it their life because they're like, okay, this is enough for me, you know? And as I said, I took a lot of like the lessons I've learned like about intentionality and stuff and and I've applied that to like what I do now. There was also the thing like you were saying where you, you kind of noticed how like sad people are. Like I had done a couple of tours where it was like one of the, our, the bass player I was touring with like lived in a storage container and it was like, oh he my was just God. like complaining all the time about this and that and this person. And it's like, man, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to be toxic about everything yeah. that I'm doing all the time and complaining Your quality of about life. it this much. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to be that person. Yeah, no, it's so important. Um, gosh, okay. According to Lucian Wickles, Trey yeah. met his fish bandmates at the University of Vermont where they played Correct. their first gig in the school cafeteria. Where an attendee eventually blasted Michael Jackson's Thriller album to drown them out. Have you, Jason, ever been publicly humiliated while attempting to start your dream? Because I relate to this story deeply. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, uh, this is when, back when I was uh, pursuing music, uh, our band was playing at a festival in Northern California. And then what was your band's I name? I don't want to say. All right, fine. <laughs> but, uh, I was in a band and we were like very, and you know, we were locally, we were in the mix. We were like a local band, but we had gotten a spot like at this, uh, at a festival and some guys I went to music school. I, I went to Berkeley college music. Some guys I went Ooh. to music school that also had a band Fancy and they were well. so 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 good, and they were um, like one of the bigger bands on the on the on the uh, list of bands. Mm -hmm. And they're they were like, "Hey, we're doing this late night set at like the late night jam like tent, you know, where they played from like midnight to like four a.m. or whatever. Come and sit in, bring your stuff." So I bring my stuff. And I'm standing there at the side of the stage and I'm standing there and I'm standing there. I'm standing there waiting for him to like call me out. And it just became like, like you could, I could feel like almost like a spotlight was on me, like growing hotter and hotter. And I could feel people like, and this was probably not true, but I could feel people like wondering why this person was standing on the side of the stage with like a guitar strapped to them when they weren't playing. And it was like, and it went on and on and on. And then it became clear like this was some sort of weird miscommunication where the, I don't <gasps> think anybody had ever told anybody that like I was going to be there to sit in. And so <gasps> eventually I just had to like slink backward. You know, like there's people behind you too uh, because yeah. there's all these people like on the side of the stage. Oh, and so, God. And again, I've got like my fuck. I carried my amp there and I've got like my guitar on me. And oh, God. I just, like, had to, like, slowly, slowly, like, slink away, just hopefully slowly so, like, no one would turn and see that I was there doing that and walking away. And then I just left. Uh, and it was still to this day talking about it. Man, that was, like, devastating. 
Wow, that's brutal. And you just like, it means so much to you. Yeah, it's so, I can't, it's so hard when, especially, you know, sometimes you do have the up and coming skill level and you get opportunities and they can be like embarrassing or whatever, but especially pre-skill level where your yeah. skill level is not there and you're still like developing it. And it's just like, like I know for me, when I first started, I was, because I was a writer before, like I, every word was written, like, and I was mm-hmm. so into like the linguistics of my jokes and stuff. And I liked my jokes and it was like, I had like a good thing going pretty instantaneously, but I had no skill level as a comedian. Like if it wasn't going well, if it was like a rough crowd or if they were Mm. like what to do if they weren't liking my material. And I got, I, I had just, I had no idea what to do if it was like off script. And I had so many like embarrassing times in like raucous crowds growing up or starting out. When So by the time I saw you, at Faded, how long had you been a comedian by that point? This is probably like 2019 or something like that, 2018? Um, 2018, I had probably been doing it almost six years. So, yeah. so my, my experience I'm first nine seeing, years now. My first experience seeing your set was like, first of all, it was like so funny. And then second of all, it was like, I was like, this person is doing a very broy persona, but in a way that says how smart they are at understanding what this persona is. And I, that was the first time I saw you. And I was just like, wow, this is really funny and interesting in a different way. Wow. So you've been doing so it. Nice. But yeah, you had been doing it in a while, I guess, by then. But it was like, I, I was like really blown away by your set. Oh, thank you. It's so funny how people perceive you because like I would never see myself as broy in any way. But I guess that like inherent upbringing comes out. And I also am people will sometimes ask me like, is that a character on stage? And I'm like, no, that's like my id. That's like the free me because, (laughs) you know, like off stage, I'm a pretty soft person like and that. And like, you know, I'm really polite. I don't always like stand up for myself and stuff. And so like on stage, I think that like repression just comes out and it feels great to just sort of be like an unfiltered monster. (laughs) I think you were screaming about steak and. um, Yeah, I love screaming on stage. Like I love doing that. (laughs) Um, Okay, so. Trey has been married to his college girlfriend for 28 years. So I guess his wife, not girlfriend. But would you say Jason is the key to Trey's uh, specific marriage longevity? Oh, gosh. Well, he got sober Between him and his wife. He got sober, which I think was like a big deal. Yes, um, in 2007 after his heroin arrest, according to Lucian. Yeah, so I'd like, um, that was, I think, a thing that probably helped a lot of people was him being so public about his problem and talking about, like, getting help. And, you know, I think uh, it's, you know, I don't know anything about their their marriage, but I would assume, like, it's, like, clear communication and just, like, a collaborativeness 
about the relationship. A relationship essentially is like a collaboration. Um, and hopefully like for a good collaboration to happen, uh, everybody feels that they're heard when they need to say something. So I would assume that it's like that. And, you know, like their music is that it's very responsive to like signals and to different musical ideas. So I would hope that and like the that long is all <laughs> and the long haul, like getting like j- j- improvising for 25 minutes all to get to like some peak point of the jam 24 minutes in. And so hopefully that kind of intention is, is the secret to Trey uh, and his wife's longevity, the longevity of you, their relationship. And would you also say, uh, surmise that i don't know if that's surmise is that a word um that that is the key to a lasting marriage in general i well it seems like it's working for them and i hope that it is i hope to find out one day all right you know i like to ask these questions find out i'm trying to understand um okay cool well i do have more questions but i think we're reaching the end Jason, we like to do a little segment at the end of our podcast called Fan on the Street. Yeah. And we ask our guests if they have any fun celebrity anecdote that they are able to share run in that's fun for our audience. Um, oh yeah, I have one. I have a fun one. So, um, hold on. What's, uh, so when I first moved to LA, like moved, moved, I was over in, um, Elysian Park, uh, and, uh, walking my dog. And this was like legitimately day two. And this guy turned to me and Hey, he was like, Hey, watch out because there's these little foxtails here and your dog might snort like as, as they sniffing around could snort up a foxtail and get wedged up in the nose and you'd have to take them into the vet and, and then it's very painful for the dog and they'd have to remove it. And that would be also very expensive for you. And I was like, thank you. And I looked at the guy and it was Brett Gelman of Stranger <gasps> Things and many other things. Sure. And I was like, wow, Brett Gelman just, just told me to watch out for uh, foxtails. That's Whoa, how cool that's is that? Cool. I'm in LA now. I've made it. Yeah, that's LA as hell. I need a dog. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, God, I have, there's so many other things that I could talk about with you. Um, I have to have you on again. Um, I'd love to come back. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad this has been a long time coming and what a a really nice treasured experience for me. So thank you for agreeing to do the show. Um, and, and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that to finally do it. Thank you for thinking of me and I would come back anytime. Yeah, we didn't even get into the NBA or sports. Uh, gosh. I know. We have <laughs> That's so much, for next time. Yeah, we have so many topics to cover. We could have done a whole podcast on Selling Sunset. We could have done a whole podcast on Selling Sunset. I want to know what it's like to be an elite athlete. Like, at one <laughs> point, like, we, I, like the, truly, like, what is it like to be an elite athlete is a question that I'll ask next time. Okay, yeah, we'll have to, we'll get into that. You know, I can tell you about taking kevin love around on his recruiting trip um all of that yeah russell westbrook all these men yeah um okay well jason it was great to see you god bless thank you all to the blair bears for listening and i'll see you next week 
Bye. Bye. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know. What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free <laughs> 